Dark waters lay before them, dark forces came behind. To the left and right, the desert brought panic to their minds. The evil of that hour was stronger than the sun that beat on them with nowhere left to run. The chariots of Egypt drew nearer as they cried. Yet Moses stood there calmly with a fearless faith inside. He said there is a power far greater than the sword. Stand still and you will witness a mighty salvation from our Lord. And Thank you for joining us today. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. The following sermon is pre-recorded. Life on God's terms. Almighty God, we've been so accustomed to living life on our own terms. 
that it comes as a shock when we discover that we must live life on your terms. I ask today that you would make this plain to our hearts. Would you unveil this? That we might be ready for that great judgment day. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. We are very accustomed to living our life by our own terms. Deciding what we will like and what we will not like. Deciding where we will go and where we will not go. After all, we're in charge of our life, or so we have thought. And so we're pushed one direction by circumstances, and then other circumstances arise, and they push us another direction. And then in all of that, we try to sort through and do what we would like to do. The Scriptures teach us that we must live life not on the terms of the circumstances that surround us. We must live our lives based on the Word of the living God. So immediately the story of Daniel comes to my mind. This young man who has been at court, who always is able to sit at the table of the Lord, knowing that it is the Lord's provision that is taking care of him, knowing that he lives in this awesome nation of Israel that is ruled over by God Almighty, knowing that every day the sacrifice is being offered in the tabernacle, in the temple, knowing that every day the Lamb will be brought forth. He has great comfort and great confidence in the God of heaven. He in no way wishes to defile or to disobey this awesome God. I'm sure his heart was grieved by what he saw going on amongst his brothers and sisters. But Daniel's heart is pure. It is clean before God. But suddenly into all of this beautiful life of submission to the Lord God of heaven comes the wicked king Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, the first chapter, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. This was God who did this. Daniel was no longer allowed to live life according to his expectations of what God should do. Because suddenly, God came, reached into that kingdom, grabbed Daniel with some other worthies, and suddenly they found themselves stripped naked, shaved, in chains, walking to the capital of this wicked Nebuchadnezzar. Not knowing if they were to live or die, And it was God who did it. It was God who stepped in because Daniel was going to have to learn how to live life according to the ways of Almighty God. He had not sinned against the Lord. It was not his fault that he was taken into captivity. He had lived a pure life. He had worshipped in a worthy manner the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But it was God's will because of the wickedness in the nation to bring judgment on that nation. And now that judgment has also fallen on Daniel. And so Daniel is ripped up out of his family and he is sent off to the capital of Nebuchadnezzar. Now in verse 8 we discover that Daniel resolves in his heart not to defile himself with a royal food and wine. In other words, Daniel is suddenly taken out of this womb, this awesome place from which he is being birthed. He is ripped up out of that place. He is taken over and he's planted at Nebuchadnezzar's table. And he says, no, I am not going to defile myself with the king's food. Just because I'm in the capital of Nebuchadnezzar, does not mean I will eat at his table. 
The food had been offered to idols. It included things like pork. It included foods that were defiling for him. And he said, I'm not going to touch it. He didn't say it in an arrogant way. He said it humbly. But he was determined in his heart that even though he was now in a foreign land, he would still eat at the table of Almighty God. In other words, Daniel's commitment to the Lord God of heaven was not changed because his circumstances changed. Oh, I want you to hear that today. Because our circumstances change should not in any way affect our worship to Almighty God. Our allegiance is to Jesus Christ, regardless of the circumstances around us. And in our hearts, there has to be a clear, burning flame that says, I will not defile myself with the food of the world. Everybody else is eating it. I'm not going to eat it. Daniel's request is honored. The test is given. Ten days on vegetables and other foods, not those from the king's table. And he's the healthiest of them all. They endure the training of three years. They are taught the literature of the land. And then they are examined by the king and they are discovered to be outstanding in wisdom, in knowledge. The scriptures tell us ten times better than all the other magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And now in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. We think we're in charge of our lives. We think that the circumstances of our life are in our hands and we can manipulate those circumstances in order to achieve what we desire to achieve. And when things don't quite go the way we think they should go, great panic arises in our heart and we say, I'm going to set this right. I will have my way. That's like smoke blowing in the breeze. All strength and energy used to try to force the world to line up to my expectations is like smoke blowing in the wind. It has no eternal effect. It's only the satisfaction my ego is trying to gain from being somebody, from trying to have my way, my comfort. What do you think would have happened to Daniel had he said, I'm not going to live in Babylon, I'm going to live in Israel, I'm escaping. No, he would have just been killed. The Lord God of heaven sent him to that place. That place where you are right now, accepted as from the Lord God's hand. Whatever those circumstances are that you're struggling with, accept those circumstances as from the hand of God and know that in the midst of that circumstance, the promise in Romans 8 is that God is working all things to your good if you love the Lord. So it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It matters who you're worshiping. It matters whether or not you're allowing God to move you around to the places He wants you to be moved to. God will move us to some place and we'll say, I'm not comfortable, God. Well, nowhere in Scripture is comfort given as a standard for whether or not we should be someplace. Well, I can't afford this place. Well, nowhere in Scripture is affording a place a part of the requirement for being in God's will. To be in God's will simply means to be where He puts us and to cry out to Him if we have a question, and He'll answer it for us. Watch what He did for Daniel. Here's Daniel. He's a a slave, essentially. He's been trained as a wise man. He is not a native of the land. 
He's sleeping comfortably in his bed. In the midst of that sleep, something is going on over in the palace that he has no knowledge of. Did you know something is going on right now about your life that you have no knowledge of? God is doing something right now about the National Prayer Chapel around this nation. We don't have any idea about what God's doing. The Lord has told us as a people that we are to pastor the nation, that we are to proclaim a gospel of righteousness and holiness to America. So we sleep in our beds. We have no concept of what God is doing out there. But He is moving. He is accomplishing His purpose. Now, you may not like part of what He accomplishes. Daniel was not excited about having to lose his home. Part of what God is planning out there right now may mean you lose your house. Part of what God is planning out there may mean you lose your job. You may have to lose your comfortable American lifestyle. Is that all right with you? Is it all right to let God do what God wants to do, no matter what it costs you and me? You have to decide that ahead of time, because whatever you decide, He's still going to do it. (laughs) He didn't ask us to vote on His will. He asked us only to submit to His will. To not walk in rebellion against it, but to submit to it. So Daniel is laying in his bed sleeping in the royal palace. Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream. Oh, and he can't sleep. This dream is so disturbing to him. He calls immediately for all of the wise men. He says to them, I must know what this dream means. Tell me this dream. And they say, sir, no king has ever asked his wise men to tell the dream that he had. And he says, I know what you're doing. You're putting me off. You're trying to gain time. So he's going to have them executed. I mean, this man was a man of passion. And so the command goes out. All the wise men in the land are to be killed. Kill all the wise men. This included Daniel and his friends. Now, what would you do in those circumstances? Would you be moaning and groaning and saying how unjust God was? How could He dare treat you this way and bring you into this danger? How could God dare treat you this way? Would rebellion rise up in your heart and say, this is not fair. I'm just a young man. I deserve to live out my life. What would you be saying to God? Look at what Daniel was saying. Verse 17 of chapter 2. Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Circumstances look absolutely devastating. There is no way out. What man has ever dreamed another man's dream? Impossible, you say. Can't happen. His life is hanging on that narrow thread. He's going to be executed if he doesn't figure out what the dream is. How would you figure it out? Or would you collapse and say, it's all hopeless, I give up, go ahead and kill me. I mean, it seems to me that the human heart either wants to rise up in pride and arrogance or lay down in despair and die. There seems to be the two extremes that we constantly bounce back and forth between this extreme sense of self-confidence and this despair where we're going to die. 
There is a third option to get on our face before God and plead for understanding that we could be a part of what God is doing. Yes, Lord! You understand, what God is doing really doesn't have anything at all to do with Daniel. Did you know that most of what God is doing in your life doesn't have anything to do with you? It has to do with something else that God is bringing to pass for the sake of his kingdom. You see, this is shocking to me because everything has to be about me. I mean, doesn't the, doesn't the whole world spin around me? I mean, isn't it about me? I mean, that's such a shock. I mean, if, if you're talking, you have to be talking about me. Everybody has to be talking about me. I mean, it's about me. I'm the important one here. Oh, it comes as a shock when we begin to read the Scriptures to discover that almost nothing is about you or me. It's about the Lord God of heaven. Hallelujah! It's about Jesus. This wicked king has taken his city, has taken his land, and the God of heaven is saying, okay, now I'm going to capture Nebuchadnezzar for my kingdom. I'm going to convert Nebuchadnezzar. But he forgets to ask Daniel's permission to use him to get at King Nebuchadnezzar. Generally, God forgets to ask us if he can use us. He generally just goes ahead and does it. Suddenly, unexpectedly, God begins to move outside of us, and we begin to experience things that seem terrifying to us, that seem life-threatening to us. Disturbance in our family, disturbance here, things we can't explain there, and we're saying, Oh, it's all about me. How am I going to survive? It's about Jesus. The Lord God of heaven is trying to accomplish something. Are you willing to let him use you without you getting an attitude? You see, so quickly that attitude rises up in our hearts that says, you know, you can use me, God, but have the courtesy of asking first. No, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He doesn't need to ask his subjects anything. All he needs to do is say, go here and do that. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So now, Daniel is in a life-threatening position, and the God of heaven bows down and speaks into his ear. The vision. Was this done to deliver Daniel from this wicked king's hand? Absolutely not. So many times when we cry out to the Lord and then we see the deliverance come, we take it all for ourselves and we say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me so much that you do this for me. Again, it's not about you and me. When we make it all about us, we miss what God is trying to accomplish. And I tell you today, I want my eyesight changed so that I can see what God is doing instead of looking at what I'm doing. I want to cooperate with God in what He's chosen to accomplish. And right now it's clear God wants to use the National Prayer Chapel, whether we want to be used or not, to send a radio broadcast around this nation. And He's asking us, will we cry out to Him in our prayer closets so that when that outward word goes forth, there will also be then an inward call of the Spirit, so that when they meet, there will be an explosion of revival fire. Will we cooperate with the Lord in submitting to the task He's called us to, so that that explosion will take place? It's not about us. It's about what God wants to do in the nation. 
And so Daniel sends the word. I know what the dream is. And it's interesting, this this guard, this military officer, decides he will take full credit. He went to the king and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. I mean, you see the cavalry charging in. You can hear the trumpet blow. You can hear the drum roll. As one little man seeks to gain his one moment of fame and say, I did it. When you look at this story, you know it's foolishness. He didn't do it at all. God did it. But he thought he could ride on Daniel's coattails to a higher salary. The king asked Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries he has asked about. At that point, I would suspect that Nebuchadnezzar is rising up off his throne ready to kill this young man. But I suspect he didn't hesitate long before he said, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And you can see Nebuchadnezzar beginning to settle back on his throne. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as as you lay on your bed are these. And then he begins to describe this great statue. This is what God did to save a pagan king. But not just any pagan king, the pagan king that he had just handed his people to the instrument of his punishment. The judgments of God were falling on his nation through this man. And God said, I'll have that man. I'll use him first to judge my people. And then I'll save his soul for eternity. All Daniel is doing is cooperating with what God is up to. Not about Daniel. It's about God and what God wants to accomplish. I want you to be able to see this in your life. The job you're in, the family you have, the circumstances of your life. Is there bitterness in your heart because of the circumstances of your life that you find yourself in today? Because of sickness or because of lack of money or because of someone else's treatment of you, does bitterness rise up? Does anger rise up in your heart because of how you're being treated? If so, know that you're missing what God is trying to accomplish in your life. And it may have nothing to do with you. You're simply one of those servants that He is choosing to use to accomplish the greater work for His kingdom. Does God have your permission, not that He needs it, to use you in any way necessary to build His kingdom? And will you allow Him to do that without an attitude, without moaning and groaning, without complaining, without charging God with being unfair, without charging God with being unkind? Will you let God do with your life what He wants to do, even if it means you're uncomfortable? You see, we have had life on our own terms. And we've had life on our terms for so long that it takes a very conscious decision to say, I will now accept not having life on my terms any longer. I will now take life on God's terms. And when we take life on God's terms, we must then accept 
his agenda without even knowing what it is. So God, I'll cooperate with you, but you must tell me what you're doing. We have controlling spirits. If you'll let me be in charge of this little piece of what you're doing, and let me tell you how it's supposed to operate, then I'm going to be cooperating with you, God. But if you don't let me have that authority, if you block me in that ability, I'll rebel against you, God. And then what will you do? Find out at the judgment day that he used me anyway. But I just lost out on the presence of Almighty God and find myself shut out of the kingdom of heaven. You understand that Satan's greatest pain is not going to be when he is cast into the depths of that fiery, burning lake. Now, his greatest pain is going to be when he discovers that God used him to accomplish his glory. Satan thought he was the the noble and magnificent opposer of God. And God simply maneuvered around him and even used his rebellion for the sake of his kingdom. God will use even your disobedience for the good of his kingdom, but that will mean that you are left on the outside and not brought into the kingdom of Almighty God. I've been thinking a lot about judgment these last days, and I've been asking the Lord to give me wisdom and insight and understanding regarding the coming judgment. The judgment is going to be based on whether or not I allowed God to have full authority and control over my life. The judgment is going to be based on whether or not I allowed him to place his righteousness in my life. The judgment is not going to be based on whether I claim to be a servant of his. The judgment is going to be based on whether or not I was a servant of his. It's not what I'm saying. It's what I'm doing. It's how I'm walking. Daniel was willing to allow his life to be totally disrupted. And then when his life was threatened to have a sweet spirit, to go into the presence of God and ask for understanding regarding how he should function in this dire crisis. He did not plead with God to give him his life. He did not plead with God to give him mercy in the sight of the great King Nebuchadnezzar. He simply prayed for understanding that he would know how to walk in the will of Almighty God. This makes all the difference in where we end up and where we'll spend eternity. Heaven is going to be populated with people who have the righteousness of Jesus put into their hearts and who now submit with joy to the Lord Jesus Christ, and who walk out day by day in obedience to His command, letting God use them even without their understanding for whatever He wants to use them for. Revelation, the 20th chapter. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must set, be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. 
they had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years was ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they're like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. You understand what I just read to you? I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. We know that him who was seated on it is Jesus Christ. And his appearance is so awesome and so mighty and so powerful that the earth and the sky are no more. In other words, the earth with its buried Coke cans, its mountains of garbage, are gone. Can you imagine being in heaven, going out to plant your vineyard, turning over that rich soil, and finding a Coke can? Or finding a diaper? No. That's not going to happen. This earth, as we know it, is going to be totally evaporated. It will no longer exist. The sky flees from his presence or disappears. The, the Greek is very interesting. It means literally that it leaves and there's no place for it to go. It's gone. That means the whole heavens, the the galaxy that we're in is gone. The sun, the moon, the stars, they're gone. There's no place for them. And I looked the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Books of remembrance are opened. But another book is opened. The Word of God is opened because it's going to be what they're going to be judged by. Would it be fair for God to bring to the last judgment something we don't know about? No, He's going to lift up His Word. We're going to be judged by the Word. That's what Jesus taught. We're judged by the Word. We're not judged by what we think. We're not judged by what we believe. We're judged by what the Word of God says. There's another book. The book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, I've always believed, I've always believed that the righteous are not going to be at this judgment. I've been taught that. But I want you to notice who is it that lives and dwells for a thousand years? Now, remember, I told you, I'm talking now about things I don't know about. I haven't been there. But look what it says. Verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. 
And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus, because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. It does not say all the righteous came to life. Now they may. I don't know. But for sure we know those martyrs at the end of time are going to be resurrected in that great resurrection, that first resurrection. We also know that those who are alive and remain and caught up with the Lord will be there. There's nothing at the great white throne to indicate that the righteous are not judged at this time. I know I've always believed that, but I can't prove that. Watch what it says. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. You understand, nobody goes and burns in hell at this time. There is no place called a burning hell where the devil rules. That's Greek mythology. It's not biblical. The Scriptures teach that there is a place now where the souls are kept, and that's called hell in the Scripture. But it's not a place of rewards. It's a place of holding until the great day of judgment, when every man is then assigned his judgment. Watch what it says. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Are you willing to trust Jesus with what he's doing right now in your life for eternity? See, what God is about is bringing these final climactic events to earth. What God is about is bringing an end to all of this suffering and woe. What God is about is putting his finger now on certain pagan kings and certain pagan people. He's saying, I want you. And he wants to use you and me to touch those lives, to draw their hearts by the Holy Spirit unto himself. He is right now not concerned about what you think or feel. He's concerned about bringing an end to all of this suffering and woe. And the question is, are you willing? Are you willing to cooperate with God, with what He has in mind? Or are you demanding that He do things on your timetable and in your way, according to your idea? You see, the, the glorious privilege for me of pastoring the National Prayer Chapel is that I don't have to be in charge of anything. 
I just give it to Jesus. He's drawing together a people. He wants to use us. Okay? What would you like, Jesus? Give us the orders. Go send the radio gospel message out. Tell people that they have to be filled with my righteousness, that there is no such thing as positional righteousness. Well, that's going to create quite a stir. No, can I gussy that up? Can I make it a little more appealing? Can I add a little sentimental flavor to it? No, say it straight. You see, I fear for some of you because you think when you leave this house, you have an agenda and you're going to go accomplish your agenda. But if your agenda is not God's agenda, you're going to end up being cast into the lake of burning fire. We're called to have our agenda in line with God's agenda so that He can do whatever He wants to do with us, even if it means losing our home and losing our family and being ripped up and being sent over to a foreign land. It doesn't matter whatever is to His glory, whatever He needs to do to position us, wherever He needs to position us, in order that He can bring about the grand climax of earth's history. I praise God that He would count me worthy to be used. So how is it in your heart today? Are you in rebellion? Thinking you're going to have your life your way? Thinking you can spend your money your way? Or are you 100% sold out, committed to Jesus Christ, saying, use me, Jesus. Use me, Jesus, any way you choose. And if it serves your will the best, to just set me on a shelf for a while and not use me at all. That's all right too, because it's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. You have a, a battle plan. I choose to cooperate with your battle plan. I don't understand it. I don't read it. I read the scriptures and I don't even understand what they're saying sometimes. But God, use me however you choose. It's your battle plan. And I want to submit to you. I want to be in that great day praising your name and worshiping you. He's not left us in doubt with the outcome. Satan is going to be cast into that lake of burning fire. The false prophet, Muhammad is going to be cast into that lake of burning fire. The beast power is going to be cast into that lake. And I'm saying, oh God, don't cast me into that lake. I claim today the blood of Jesus Christ. And I claim that with that blood comes righteousness and freedom from all bondage of sin. Deliverance from every bondage set free to serve. So today, are you living life on your terms? Are you living life on God's terms? Oh Lord, I've had almost all my life on my terms. I repent of that. Jesus, I want my life on your terms alone. I want you to rule over my heart and over this fellowship. Do with us whatever you choose, Jesus. We have no agenda. We have no desire to be somebody or to be great. Lord, we humble our hearts before you, and we say, Almighty God, use us any way you choose. Use us in the prayer closet. Use us on the on the internet. Use us in the radio stations. Jesus, use us in our families. Use us in the city of Washington, D.C. Jesus, use us any way you choose. We submit to you, Jesus.
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of glory.